In today's Trouble with the Snap, we will be recapping a very exciting week two, and then we will hop into the week three games, give some previews and predictions before hopping into life advice. I hope you all enjoy. Nick Saban, and in 2003, the Tigers captured the BCS. Michigan State's Jalen Watts takes in and he scores on the last play of the game. Unbelievable! Hey everybody, welcome back to Trouble with the Snap. I'm Colton Deutsch, joined as always by my colleague, Texas A&M superstar, academic weapon, athlete, everything in between, Will Shemansky. Will, how's it going? I'm great, man. How are you? Pretty good. Just have not recovered from game day on Saturday, but... A little bit of school, actually a lot of bit of school, but that and getting ready for next week. So pretty much it for me. How about you? You recovered from Miami? Yeah, so I, I'm uh, recovering from Miami and um, a bit of a hangover because I, I told you this, but for those that don't know, I did just turn 21 on Monday. Everyone, happy um, birthday if you're listening. Please do. I, I would really appreciate it. Um, anyways, so I'm definitely recovering from – a long week of somewhat depression for the football game on top of quite a bit of booze on top of a crap ton of school. So it's, uh, it's definitely been a whirlwind of, uh, you know, past four days or so. At least you didn't lose in a really bad town. You can always have yeah, Miami. That's a good point. That's a, that's a really good I point. Yeah. Miami, a different result, but Miami's still Miami. Exactly. You know, I mean, I could have been in you know the middle of absolutely nowhere instead of Miami, so that that definitely was um, on our side this weekend. If if uh, obviously the football team wasn't, but clearly being in Miami that certainly helped us. Yeah, well, I mean, I think we should probably just jump right into it. We had a lot of a lot of fun week two games. We got a lot of stuff to go over. Um, okay, also just a quick disclaimer. I um, I personally. Uh, want to just apologize real quick for messing up the release schedule for our show. I know that y'all have grown accustomed to us releasing two episodes a week, and obviously we have been a little bit behind schedule this week. Um, that has been completely due to school and academics, whatnot. So I apologize for that, and I will promise to try my absolute best to stay on top of my game and keep keep pumping out two episodes a week with Colton, but uh, I just wanted to get that out of the way. So with that being said, Colton, let's just jump right into week two. We got a lot of stuff to go over, man. By the way, absolutely unacceptable. Everybody hold Will accountable. Please do. Oh I, I hope whoever's, I hope who's ever listening to this right now, like please flame me in like our Instagram comments or something. Just, just like make me feel, you know, make me feel kind of bad. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Like it, it kind of, we didn't come here make, to school. Like, we feel my hate fire just a little bit, please. I yeah, really appreciate Will it. Will needs this. He needed to be knocked down. I did he needs completely. Him. He needs some adversity. No question. Yeah. No help for a climber though, Colton. It's all good. We, uh, you know, we're all trying to balance school, work, football. So, yeah, it's no big deal. 
But all right, well, I appreciate that. Yeah, let's let's hop into some week two games. We like I said had a very fun week. So first off, Notre Dame defeats North Carolina State forty five to twenty four. A bit of a weather delay here, but Sam Hartman, another very efficient high touchdown game. This game was close for a bit, but Notre Dame in the fourth quarter pulled away there over a solid NC State team on the road. So Notre Dame improves at three and zero under the arm of Sam Hartman. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I don't know if you saw us or not. This is kind of random a little bit, but did you see um, on your Twitter feed, like right before that game, obviously you mentioned they were in a weather delay, but the brand new scoreboard at NC State got literally struck by lightning or like there was lightning close enough in the area, like fried their scoreboard. Yeah, so I saw a picture on Twitter that was circulating like right before the game that the like brand new NC State scoreboard they had installed for this year was like completely shot. Like once lightning either struck it or struck like that close in the area. Um, this is kind of off topic. But anyways, going back to the game. Yeah, as you were saying, Notre Dame, you know, a bit of a close game throughout until the fourth quarter when they really poured it on. Um, considering the weather delay, I'm actually pretty impressed with just how many points that Notre Dame was able to put up, especially considering it was thundering and lightning and just pouring rain at one point. So considering, considering all those factors, especially playing on a wet field, um, yeah, Notre Dame obviously handled business here and, um, Sam Hartman just continues to keep that train rolling up in South Bend. Yeah, they have a very fun week four game that we'll get to later, but yeah, Notre Dame has looked very good, especially seeing them with an offense like this. For sure. And you pair that with the Marcus Freeman defense, that team's going to be pretty scary if they haven't I proven agree. that already. I'm very excited to see how they fare in some of the games later in the season. For sure. Okay, let's hop into Utah Baylor. We both picked Utah in this game and thought it would be a little bit more convincing. Utah wins 20-13 to in Waco. To say that Utah needs Cam Rising back would be an understatement. They looked really bad offensively. And we mentioned it in the last episode when we were recapping week one, that although Utah dominated Florida, they really didn't do anything on offense in the second half. But Florida, one, can score because they're bad and because Utah's a good defense. So we wanted to see more out of Bryson Barnes in this offense. And we kind of saw the opposite as they actually bench Bryson Barnes, putting Nate Johnson, who's more of a runner, who's more of a running quarterback, more of a mobile guy. And yeah, Utah got, they were down this game for a long time. And Sawyer Robertson, mm-hmm. Baylor's, Backup quarterback who had to step in for Blake Shapin, who was injured in week one, did not have a very good game at all. Made some pretty crucial mistakes that gave Utah the lead. And Baylor actually had a chance to tie it at the end. Probably got robbed of a pass interference call there, but Utah hangs on 20-13. to 13. They have an easy game week three before hopping into conference play in week four. So looks like if Rising can't go, they'll start Nate Johnson, but they really need Cam Rising back, in my opinion, if – they're going to run through a pretty strong Pac-12. I feel like that's much more of a fact than it is an opinion. I completely agree with that. Cam Rising, obviously with his absence, um, pretty much obviously since the the Rose Bowl last year, um, it is it is extremely evident when watching Utah through these first two weeks. Um, you know, as we as I kind of talked about in our last episode, a recap in week one, you know, Utah and, and week one against Florida started out like an absolute house on fire on offense. You know, that first half, they looked really great, especially coming out with that big play touchdown on the very first play from scrimmage. Um, and I feel like ever since that first half ended against Florida, I don't want to say they necessarily like kind of got into like this sleepwalking form sense whatnot, but it definitely feels like. Um, they just haven't necessarily hit that groove or hit that stride that they may have necessarily hit during that first half of the Florida game. Um, 
and yeah, as you were mentioning in this Utah Baylor game, Baylor had the lead for the majority of the game. I th- I believe it was till you know like crunch time of the fourth quarters when Utah finally punched it in on the ground at the goal line. Um, but no, I I mean you know shout out to Baylor. Obviously, they literally got kicked in the nuts the week before and came back and put up a hell of a fight o- over um, a pretty tough Utah team. Unfortunately, they couldn't hang on, but. Um, yeah, Utah needs cam rising. Like we need oxygen to breathe. Like it is that, I feel like it is that evident, um, with his absence. And, um, yeah, no, I feel like as we were talking about this game, um, going into it, we thought it would be at least like a two to three score game, if not more for Utah, but obviously that was not the case. And yeah, Utah, they need cam rising back in the worst way possible. Sounds like rising. I think latest I saw is he's day-to-day for this week. So hopefully that means he'll be back for the conference play because, yeah, we're in full agreement here. They really, really need him. Yeah. Let's take a look at Coach Prime, battle of first-year coaches here. Boulder takes down Nebraska and Matt Rule at home 36-14. to This game was close for a while. Nebraska has a really good defense. They're able to contain Shadur Sanders, Xavier Weaver, Jimmy Horn Jr., Dylan Edwards, and that crew, Travis Hunter for – Pretty much the whole first half, but I just Nebraska and Jeff Sims is just terrible. He they just can't do anything on offense. They probably wouldn't have a good offense anyways, considering it's year one. He doesn't have many receivers to work with either, but he's just not good. He can he can move around and that's about it. He's a walking turnover. And I just I don't see how many games Nebraska's gonna be able to win with him a quarterback, but yeah, credit to Boulder. They kind of faced some adversity in the first half. Couldn't really move the ball or score that much. But eventually in the second half, they kind of took over there. Shadur Sanders had another very good game. And then Xavier Worthy, Xavier Weaver, we'll get to him later. And Jimmy Horn Jr. had a very good games receiving. Travis Hunter had three for 73. I guess they were able to contain him a little bit, although that's still a pretty good game. But yeah, Boulder with another win. Shadur Sanders, I noticed, holds the ball for a very long time, which could be a concern in some games, but that's kind of just nitpicking. He played very well, put up a bunch of numbers again. So, yeah, Coach Prime improves to 2-0, and and Nebraska really needs to get something going offensively. For sure. Um, this might sound kind of strange, but I'm kind of a – you know, believer, you know, I feel like Shadur Sanders, obviously, you know, just the way that dude looks in that Colorado uniform, whether it's the icy whites they had week one or the all black they had week two, that man is so clean. I feel like you should have like an NIL deal from like Don Dishop. Like, honestly, he is just, he was like one of the cleanest players I have seen in a long time on a college football. Their uniform. Awesome. Um, yeah. Those uniforms are phenomenal. Um, although I will admit though, as it kind of a uniform junkie, it does feel weird to see Colorado not wear a gold helmet yet at this point in the season. I mean, I say this point in the season, we're going into week three, literally. But I mean, that's that's been their bread and butter for what feels like their entire history as a program. So it's a little bit strange, I guess, for the traditionalists. But at the same time, you know, that's just Coach Prime, baby. Um, anyways, jumping into the game, it was, um, I feel like at least this game, it was close going into the half, whatnot. I mean, I feel like Nebraska, obviously, Jeff Sims, that dude. Like, what do you, what is he, what is he doing half the time? Is he seeing ghosts or something? I mean, I and as someone who's not the biggest Casey Thompson fan, I don't understand how Nebraska pushed out Casey Thompson for Jeff Sims because there's no way they God, keep I know. Jeff Sims. 
I bet Jeff Sims was one of those guys that absolutely lit up like seven on sevens in like camp and like the film was all there coming out of high school, whatnot. But he was really high out of high school. Yeah, but you know that that can only take you so far. You know what you truly got to rely on in college is you got to have that dog, and you know what I'm saying. Got to have it. You got to have it. Anyways, um, going back to the game, yeah, I feel like it was fairly close going into half. I mean, obviously the game was in Folsom, and that was probably the biggest crowd that Folsom's had in a decade. Um, so clearly Colorado had all the momentum. I feel like for the majority in this game, uh, especially in that second half, as we see, you know, they won 36, 14, um, all in all, as you were saying, Travis Hunter, they were actually able to contain him for the most part. I mean, he said he had three catches for less than 80 yards or something. So that's, you know, props. If Nebraska is going to take any uh, positives out of this game, you know, you can, you can easily say that you contained one of the, if not the best wide receiver in all of college football to less than a hundred yards in the air. Um, but at the end of the day though, Shadur Sanders, that dude, he's a stud, man. And I feel like I didn't realize that necessarily just because when he was at Jackson state, obviously he didn't get as much, he does not, he wasn't getting as much coverage back then as he is now at being at a true power five school. I mean, he certainly got some, but nowhere near as much as he's getting now. Um, but no, that dude can just flat out play football. He's a stud. And obviously if, if he's Dion's kid, he's, you know, he's not going to be bad, but, um, the dude's a stud anyways. Um, yeah, Boulder or Colorado, um, clearly pulled out the win against Nebraska, a pretty challenging defense. Um, and you know, coach primes two and O so far as a coach of Colorado, and it'll be really fun to see if he can keep this, keep this ball moving. Yeah. Shadura has been really good so far. And also one thing just to go back to it, we both mentioned that Jeff Sims is not good, but this is college football. I blame Lover on the coaches that's on Matt rule and Marcus Satterfield for taking him honestly doesn't, doesn't jeff sims already have like he's like responsible for i think like seven turnovers already through two games I mean, he's a walking turnover i mean he he fumbled like two snaps or something and like threw a pick directly to a db he's super generous yeah no for I mean, sure he just gives it away yeah no he's a great guy he should work for the salvation army in his free time hey i mean i like him yeah he's not my quarterback though so that might be why as well but <laughs> yeah all right uh let's move on Ole Miss and Tulane that was a, uh, you know it was a pretty good game down in New Orleans Colson what'd you see yeah this game was close for a while and unfortunately Michael Pratt Tulane star quarterback could not give it a go and their backup completed less than 50 percent of his passes and Tulane was winning that game by a touchdown in the second half eventually Ole Miss pulls away there with Jackson Dart and that crew but yeah look Tulane they're a pretty trendy pick to be the best group of five team. They they still obviously have a great chance to do that. But without their quarterback for Ole Miss to be in a dogfight with them, that's a little concerning for me with Lane Kiffin and that group. But on the road, they got it done by 17 points. But the score did not really indicate how close that game was. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I definitely feel like even though, as you were saying, Ole Miss won by 17 points, I still feel like this game says more about Ole Miss than it did Tulane. Um, I mean, I get it. You're going down to New Orleans. It's any any game on the road is going to be obviously twice as tough, if not more, than a home game ever would be. Um, but at the same time, Tulane, you know, that's still they're technically not Power Five football, even even though they play to the level of Power Five teams. It's it's still a Group of Five team. So I I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but I feel like Ole Miss. Um, I don't want to say they overlooked them, but I feel like you know. 
if they were playing someone a lot more high caliber, maybe them as like Alabama, Georgia, LSU, some of those guys in the SEC, they may have, you know, prepared more or like taking it a little bit more seriously. But at the same time, I'm not, I'm not saying that's like a diss to Tulane at all. Um, because I'm actually really high on Tulane, but anyways, um, yeah, no, I feel like, uh, although Ole Miss won by 17 points, um, I feel like they still got quite a quite a bit of things they got to work on as the season progresses. Um, as for Tulane, you mentioned that they didn't have their quarterback, which was a bit of a bummer, clearly. Um, but clearly, once uh, once Tulane is healthy and once you know they got their quarterback back um, and they're firing on all cylinders, they they are a really dangerous team in the group of five, no question. And I feel like they can compete with quite a few power five teams as well. And clearly we, I feel like even though they lost by 17 on Saturday, we, that was still somewhat on display um, against Ole Miss. Yeah. And look to, I guess to Tulane's credit, depending on, on how you look at it, or maybe to Ole Miss's, you know, discredit Tulane's quarterback, Kai Horton had an 18 QBR and that game was tied going to the fourth quarter. So if I'm Ole Miss, that's a bit concerning, but yeah. We'll see how it goes when they hop into conference play. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, should we uh should we get into your game or Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna just rip the band-aid off real quick. Uh just get this over with. Um all right, so obviously we're talking about the Miami Texas AM game. Um Miami obviously won that game 48-33. Um you know, AM, I will say they looked that fir- that first drive or two you know, with the block punt and the touchdown and like the first two or three plays that they ran, I thought a would win by 90. I felt so confident. Um, I thought they looked so good. I'm like, wow, we, we look like a, like a, a respectable football team out there. Um, and clearly that was just not the case on Saturday. Um, shout out to Tyler Van Dyke though, Miami. Um, that dude just played a, a hell of a game. Uh, he was clicking on all cylinders. He made little to, Little to no mistakes at all on Saturday, putting the ball where he pretty much where he wanted to. Um, yeah, so shout out to Tyler Van Dyke. But as for AM, that was just it was it was pretty embarrassing. Um, I mean, obviously you expect it, you know, two thirty primetime game on ABC. Games like that, they don't they're not just like little pushovers. Like it's gonna be a good game, of course, and you know that going into it. Um, but you know, Adam has played at Hard Rock Stadium before. Obviously, it wasn't against Miami, but it was the 2021 Orange Bowl. So they have experience, and they have experience of winning in that building. So it's not like they haven't done that before down in South Florida. But whatever it was, I don't. I um, they just came out flat. I feel like that. Well, they didn't come out flat, but after you know the first few drives of the game on offense for the Ags, they just looked completely flat and didn't really know what they were doing. Um, as for the offense, you know, I thought, um, when Connor Wigman had time in the pocket to deliver a pass, I feel like he actually did a a pretty dang good job considering just how many blitzes Miami sent after him. Um, but for the majority of the game, um, he was running for his life. It felt like, or he literally had less than two seconds to get, get the ball out as soon as it hit his hands, just because Miami blitzed on like every other play. Um, but as I was saying, when he did have time, he looked good. Um, you know, um, as for the Ags on defense, though, I I could go on a 30-minute rant about this, but I'll save everyone else's time and, you know, uh, 
save their patience. But um, DJ Durkin, the defensive coordinator at AM, I'm not sure what the heck he is doing. Um, as everyone knows who's a college football fan, AM has an absolute embarrassment of riches on the defensive line. Um, I would, I personally would argue talent wise and star wise, um, as for recruits, I would argue that it could compete with that absolute like death row lineup that Clemson had a couple of years ago on those national championship teams. Um, but at the same time, you know, Clemson obviously got results out of that defensive line and it feels like AM, you know, they could take like four high schoolers from any school around the state and they'd have the same results, um, that they do with that five-star line. So DJ Durkin, um, he's got a lot of things to figure out. I feel like I know that, um, you know, at this past week in press conferences, Jimbo's defended him, but I don't necessarily agree with that. I feel like this can mainly be blamed on him because, you know, our DBs don't know how to tackle in space. They give wide, um, the wide receivers so much extra cushion, which I understand when you're playing zone coverage, but even in zone, they're so generous when it comes to uh, just how much space they give wide receivers. <coughs> Excuse me, I apologize. Um, they're so generous on how much space they give, and I feel like when they play man coverage, they get absolutely torched by just average wide receivers. So that defense has a lot of cleaning up to do between now and when conference play starts in two weeks. Um. But just as for the game as a whole, um, I know I've been taking a while. I apologize. I'm trying to wrap this up here. Um, Just for the game as a whole, you know, Miami came out. They looked great. Um, And I can vouch for this considering I was one of the many spectators in in the stadium on Saturday. Um, You know, everyone gives Miami a hard time for having little to no fan base at all at games. That was certainly not the case on Saturday. That place was absolutely rocking. It was so loud and hard rock. Um, so shout out to Miami and shout out to their fans for showing up. Maybe it was the the buy one, get one ticket deal they were having. I'm not sure. But, um, you know, shout out to Miami and their fans. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Good Lord. Um, but anyways, Miami played a great game. A&M, they got a lot of things to clean up and they got a lot of work to do between now and conference play. And Durant, thank you for listening. That was beautiful. Um, I'll touch on this one as well. I mentioned it. I thought Miami was going to get blown out, and I was very wrong. I don't think this is the end of the world for AM, but there was a lot not to like if you're an Aggie there. I think totally agree with you there with all that five-star talent on the defensive line. They have little to no pass rush, AM does. And we mentioned, I believe it was after week one, how I was a bit concerned about the corner spot opposite Tyreek Chappelle and that secondary was just awful against Miami. Just not, just not wrapping up receivers bouncing off. Xavier Restrepo had a huge game as did Jacoby George. And I, I honestly, I really don't think Miami's receivers are all that good. I think they're solid. I don't think that there's any first. They're good, but they're not great. Yeah. I don't think that there's, really anyone particularly special credit to Tyler Van Dyke. We mentioned that for Miami to have a bounce back gear, he would need to play more like he did in 21 than 22. And he had a very, very good game. And I'm offensively Connor Wigman. I do think is really good. 6.3 yards per attempt weren't great, but at that point it's kind of just nitpicking the pick at the end of the game. Honestly, didn't really matter that much. I guess that was on him. His first pick wasn't his fault. Receiver slipped. And yeah, I like Wigman a lot Uh, with the offense though. I just, Seems like it just stalls at times. 
And to be honest, I felt like Miami kind of spotted AM two touchdowns. They they gave him a really good field position, which credit to AM making plays on special teams. But I don't know. Offensively, I think is a bit of an easier fix for AM on defense. It just didn't look good. And I wonder if AM's gonna be in a lot of shootouts this year. Yeah, that's the thing. I don't know. Maybe it was just me. Um, considering that I watched I got used to excuse me one moment. God, there's something in my throat right now. Um, anyways, I don't know if it was just me, but considering what I saw all of last year with Jibbo still calling the plays and, you know, with Bobby Petrino now being the offensive coordinator with a lot of excitement, obviously coming into the season, it just felt like at times in that Miami game, it just felt like Jimbo was still the one calling plays, you know, uh, with Bobby, as we saw in week one against, um, who, who, who New Mexico. I don't even Thank you. Um, against New Mexico, um, you know, we were really aggressive in the air. Um, you know, we, we ran a, like a lot of new concepts and a lot of new guys in motion that we hadn't seen before. And, you know, you get to week two and we did that on a, on occasion against Miami, but it, at the end of the day, it still just felt like a prehistoric offense. You know, we, we'd run, run, and then we'd throw on third down. If we didn't get it there, we'd either punt or kick a field goal. And, you know, that may have worked like 30, 40 years ago, but clearly with, the modern landscape of college football and offenses that just that's not the way to do it anymore and so I don't know maybe that's just me but it definitely felt like Jimbo at least at this past Miami game was a lot more involved in the play calling than he was in week one I was gonna say I think Wigman's really good a lot of times it doesn't seem like the coaching staff is making it easy on him at all no that's the thing is I don't want to you know as an Aggie, it, it, I would hate, absolutely hate to see nothing more, you know, take a talent like Connor Wigman and just waste him with horrible coaches. And I feel like that's kind of the trajectory we're, we're headed down right now. Um, I don't know. I, I hope they can figure something out and turn it around immediately because I feel like truly if Connor Wigman is firing on all cylinders and he reaches his absolute be- uh, peak potential, he could easily be the best quarterback in the, in the SEC and one of the best quarterbacks in all of college football. But he's got a long way to go to do that. And it's not just him, though. I feel like the coaches really got to step up their game for that to happen as well. One last thing I wanted to mention about AM. I mentioned this in the preseason. I felt like last year, it seemed like whenever AM would lose a game, it seemed like the end of the world. It didn't feel like the locker room culture was good there. Obviously, it lost to Miami. I guess they're definitely a bit better than I thought. That's obviously not an Appalachian State level loss, so it shouldn't be the end of the world by any means. But I'm just curious how this how this team responds. They have some winnable games coming up before Alabama, so definitely curious to see how the Aggies bounce back. But yeah, well, look, obviously, you know, I I obviously wasn't rooting for A and M, but I do I do not relish the fact that you had to go all the way to Miami for your birthday to see a loss, but. It is what it is. Considering what I watched last year, this is nothing new. So, you know, I, I, I'm hoping they can figure something out now, but until then, I'm still numb from last year. So I've kind of come to expect this over the past two years. So it is what it is. At least you're in Miami, like we mentioned. Yeah, it was it was awesome to celebrate your 21st in Miami. I can imagine. Yeah. All right, let's hop into the game I was at. Texas over Alabama and Brian Denny, 34 to 24. Quick shout out to Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Really, really fun place. I have a great tailgating scene. Beautiful campus. Although I was in the top of the stadium, literally the very last row, I actually could see the whole field. So had a great time. It's a great atmosphere there. They have awesome lights and music playing. So 
yeah, I had a great time even before the game. But yeah, what can I say? Signature win here for Steve Sarkeesian in year three in the Texas program. I thought that Texas was just straight up better. Pretty much every aspect. I thought they outcoached Alabama. I thought they outplayed and unexecuted Alabama. I thought that they were more physical on the line of scrimmage, both sides. And yeah, defensively, I mentioned in our preview episode, there were three main keys here for Texas against Alabama defensively, one of which was to contain the Alabama run game. The second one was to prevent Jalen Milrow from having any game-changing and back-breaking runs. And the third was to take away some of Milrow's easy reads, some of his easy short completions. I think Texas did a great job of all those. They essentially lived in the defensive uh, in the in the backfield for Alabama. Byron Murphy, Devondre Sweat did a great job stopping the run. Alfred Collins as well. Ethan Burke and the freshman Anthony Hill had a combined three sacks. Texas added two more and were pretty much all over Milrow all game long. Jade Barron's pick on the first on the first possession of the game was huge, not only because it led to Texas points, but it seemed to spook Alabama out of those short to intermediate throws that were easy reads for Milrow kind of changed Bama's entire game plan from that point on. And yeah, I thought Texas just did a great job stopping the run and making Milrow beat them deep. Jaron Thompson had a pick as well, which was huge. And yeah, I thought it was a great game defensively for the Longhorns. I think I mentioned in the preview that I thought that 30 points would win the game for Texas. That's exactly what happened. Offensively, got to give credit to the offensive line. They were definitely deserving of a lot of criticism after week one and they were pretty dominant pass blocking that was the first time alabama had been held sackless since the 2018 national title game against clemson and for the first time since 2014 alabama was held to zero sacks and less than three pressures so credit to the longhorns offensive line the running game was not great although in the fourth quarter when they really needed to they were able to bleed out the last seven minutes of the clock with some harder running from jonathan brooks and cedric baxter uh, offensively, Steve Sarkeesian, I thought, called one of his best games as the head coach of Texas. Got just guys wide open. I actually thought that Texas probably left two more touchdowns on the field with between drops with Xavier Worthy and Jonathan Brooks. And there are some other plays across the middle where Jordan Whittington kind of T-Rex armed a bit of a high throw by Quinn Ewers. But Probably the best game we mentioned that we needed a big game out of Quinn Ewers and he was phenomenal. I thought he was smart. I thought he was composed. He knew where to go with the ball. He hung in the pocket. He didn't bail when when it wasn't necessary. Picked up extra yards when need be and he never really put the ball in danger. He finally connected on some deep shots to A.D. Mitchell and Xavier Worthy. And yeah, one great thing to see was in the last two years, Xavier Worthy was obviously a huge part of this Longhorn offense, but teams were able to take him out of the game the last couple of years. And once you double or bracket him, it was just really hard for Texas to get things going. Their offense would kind of sputter. This year against Alabama, Worthy has a great game in the first half. They totally take him out of the game. And what do you know, A.D. Mitchell responds with three huge catches, two of which go for touchdowns. He also draws two key pass interference calls. Jatavian Sanders has over 100 yards receiving, and Jordan Whittington has some big catches and runs as well. So overall, great performance from the Longhorns offensively and defensively. One thing that was great to see for me was in the fourth quarter, I think you kind of saw a full maturation, not only of Quinn Ewers, but his entire program, where, look, it was hard. I thought Texas was a better team throughout the game, but going into the fourth quarter, Texas was down by three, and it kind of felt like they were maybe going to let it slip away, had some blown opportunities, just, just being there, Bama has all the momentum. The lights are flickering off and on. They're playing Dixieland Delight, everything like that. And 
Texas comes out with a three-play touchdown drive and then picks off Jalen Milrow, punches it in again, gets a builds a double-digit lead, and is able to hang on there and run and bleed out the last seven minutes of the clock. So that's a game I don't think that Texas wins the last few years. And yeah, statement win for the Longhorns and as they jump into the top five. So overall, I think the game lived up to expectations. It was a very, very good game. It was a pretty, pretty physical and intense war. So I thought it was a very, very no. good game. For sure. Um, you know, as much as it pains me to say, that was an absolutely phenomenal game that Texas played, no question. Um, as you were saying, Steve Sarkeesian, I, I would say he called an absolute masterclass in Tuscaloosa this past Saturday. Um, and I also just want to say real quick, um, that deep ball that um, Quinn Ewers connected with Xavier Worthy on, where he threw the ball like, a hundred feet in the air felt like, and it just dropped right in the bread basket. That was one of the prettiest throws I've ever seen made on a college football field. That was right in front of me. I couldn't believe it. Was it, was it really? That was coming right towards me. I thought he overthrew him. Yeah, no, that was, um, that was one of the most beautiful thrown passes I've ever seen on a football field period. Um, obviously, you know, coming into the season, I was saying, I feel like, um, all the hopes and dreams for Texas going into this year rides on the shoulders of Quinn Ewers and, Obviously, the dude had no problem whatsoever delivering um, on those promises, whatnot, this past Saturday. Uh, he looked great. You know, I agree with what you said. He looked really composed in the pocket. He didn't panic. He didn't necessarily feel the pressure like how he has in the past. Um, you know, he just got the job done. And, you know, I have to give credit absolutely where it's due. The dude played a heck of a game. And that Texas defense, um, they looked great. Actually, they look, did it. They looked better than great. They looked phenomenal. Um, yeah. So Texas, I, they just played a really complete game, and that's what that's what it was going to take to walk out of there victorious. And obviously, that that was what what happened on Saturday. Um, as for Alabama, I'm really curious to see. I think you and I were talking about this a little bit before we started recording this episode. Um, Jalen Milrow. Don't get me wrong. I love the kid. Um, but he, I, I just feel like ever since, you know, he's, you know, stepped foot on campus at Alabama, maybe it's just, I don't want to say the moment has like seemed like the position of quarterback at Alabama. I, I don't want to say it seems like it might be a little too big for him. I mean, maybe for the time being, but I obviously, if he reaches his full potential, it'll be no problem. But, you know, as of right now, I get it. That was like, what, his third career start or something. Um, so. I mean, that was his first true test, I feel like. I mean, that was the best team he's played yet in his career. And obviously, he had some hiccups. And, you know, I, it, um, it'll it be really interesting to see what Nick Saban does with his quarterback room throughout the rest of the season. You know, if, if Jalen Milrow keeps kind of having an up-and-down season, you know, maybe Saban actually pulls the plug on him and tries, you know, true freshman five-star quarterback Ty Simpson and just sees what happens and maybe just shake it up. Um but as for Alabama, it um, you know that's that's a, a game, at least in years past, that you just completely going into expect to win, probably by double digits, like what Texas did, and that clearly wasn't the case. So maybe I don't know. I don't I don't want to seem like I'm trying to predict the future here by any means, but maybe this was the first domino and the entire domino effect of the collapse of the Alabama dynasty. I don't know. As an Aggie in the SEC West, I kind of hope so. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I, I feel like that might be a bit of a welcome change for college football, considering just how long it dominated 
But um, yeah, just to wrap up, that was without a doubt the best game that we've had all season and definitely in week two. Um, and so I'm I'm really looking forward to, just as a fan of college football, seeing this game being played over and over again once Texas joins the SEC with Oklahoma next year. That'll be a lot of fun to see them play a lot more often. Yeah, I want to touch on Miller again. You make a very good point. I'm with you in that I think that, I mean, look, he's started three games. Two of them were his first one last year against A&M, who we've mentioned, Ingus is in defense, but very, very talented. They were able to completely rattle him. And then this was third start against Texas. I think Texas has the best defense band will play all year, unless they get to Georgia in the SEC title game. But, yeah, I don't know. I think he's definitely improved from last year. I think there's better ways that Alabama could use him in the read option games, more quarterback run game. He throws a very, very pretty deep ball, and I think you can win a lot of games in college football with a quarterback who can run and throw a really pretty deep ball. But, yeah, that game, it really felt like he's one of those guys where from the first snap, you know he's going to make some plays, but you also know that you're going to pick him off a couple times. He's just kind of erratic, so – it's only his third start, but yeah, I'm, I mean, look at Alabama. There's not too much patience there, so we'll see what happens. I I don't think that – I'm interested to see how Saban – he's always been great at adapting. I think – I'm with you. I think there have definitely been kind of some chinks in the armor in this Alabama dynasty. I see them winning another title under Saban, but yeah, I don't think that they're repeating anytime soon or things like that, but – yeah, curious to see how it plays out this year because we'll get to it. But the SEC and the SEC West is very, very interesting. Yeah, for sure. Um, that's something we definitely should touch on. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, once we finish the wrap up with these games. Um, all right. Those obviously are the two biggest games on the schedule from this past week. So let's move on. Uh, let's do the. Uh, should we just run through a few real quick? Yeah, let's just run through them. So uh, lead us off, if you don't mind. Yeah, I'll take the Seahawk game. Iowa over Iowa State, 20-13. to Cade McNamara and Iowa get the W here. Actually, a pretty close game. Iowa State made a comeback there at the end, but of course got stuffed on a fourth and one, and Iowa hung on for the W there. Look, we mentioned that Iowa and Brian Ferentz, they need to average 25 points a game. They scored 20, but one of them was on a pick six, so I don't think Iowa's ever going to score 25 points. But they are still undefeated. Northwestern over UTEP, thirty-eight to seven. Boy, we were way off on that one. We both yeah. I uh, and... I will be the first to admit I was like, wow. Okay, yeah. I, I apologize, Northwestern fans. Y'all uh, y'all came out with the vengeance. Northwestern took that personally. UTEP is awful. They, they did. They must be huge fans of the podcast then. So I guess I'm not driving to El Paso anytime soon. Although conference play still hasn't started yet, right? So maybe they turned it around. Probably not. UTSA toss bomb takes Texas State down 20 to 13. We both had the Red Runners winning that. We thought it would be a little more lopsided. Frank Harris goes out for a little bit, comes back in. UTSA gets the close, low scoring W there for GJ Kinney's group. And yeah, UTSA has looked a little off. Frank Harris, we might have some insight on that coming up in the near future. But, and then, yeah, real quick, UCF takes down Boise State 18 to 16, last second field goal. Pretty low scoring, not too exciting of a game. At least we, I thought there'd be more fireworks, but unfortunately, John Rice Plumley goes down for UCF. He'll be out for at least a couple weeks. So what exactly? I, I saw that he went down, but I didn't see the specifications of his injury. Do you know exactly what happened to him? I'm not sure exactly. I thought it was lower leg, 
but could be wrong about that. It's no big deal. We can uh, we can touch on that later. Um, anyways, all right. So I th- the next game that we're gonna jump into, I'm probably most excited for uh, for with all the rest of the games we have left on our recap. That would be Rice over U of H at Rice Stadium, baby. Hootem, man, what a game! I uh, once again I was wrong. So I'll just say this going forward: if I choose one team in a in a future game going forward, just just know that the other team that I didn't choose is gonna win that game. That's just that's just how it works for me. Um, but yeah, no shout out Rice. Um, I, if I'm not mistaken, they had a pretty big first half lead, or they had a pretty big lead over U of H at one point. To nothing. Yeah, that was nuts. Um, obviously U of H came back, stormed back, made it a game. And if I'm not mistaken, as well, didn't this game go to overtime? It's like double overtime, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, anyways. You know, that's the battle of H Town, and you know this year that um that pride and that that um that label can go to the Rice Owls over on South Main. So shout out the boys at Rice and Hootem. I think it's the Bayou Bucket, right, or the Bayou Classic or something. Something like that. Something to do with Bayou. I don't know. Everything in Houston's to do with the Bayou. Well, look, I'm wrong about millions of predictions. I called this one. I said Rice. You did. Well, I first said, said Rice for like 90. but then I think I switched to yeah. thirty to twenty-seven, but. Shout out to Rice, JT Daniels getting the W there. Yeah, they are twenty-eight to nothing. Donovan Smith and that crew at U of H fought all the way back. They go to OT, double OT, and then could not connect on a fade to Matthew Golden at the end of the game. So yeah, Rice for the first time in I believe twelve years takes it home. And uh, yeah, I think Daniel Holgerson is going to get fired. They are not going to be okay with that at U of H, especially not being a Big Twelve team. So. Yeah, year five here for Holgo, and yeah, I thought he built up some good some goodwill after the UTSA game, but I think he erased all of that losing to Rice, considering. But who knows? Maybe, maybe this is boosting Texas' resume. Maybe Rice is not as bad as we thought. But credit to JT Daniels, Ex- you know, happy for him, excited for him. Shout out Connor Welsh if, if you're listening, former Rice tight end. He's a fan of the show, and I know he was happy to see his boys get the W. Oh, they also stormed the field. Did they really? Yeah, Rice stormed the field. That's absolutely electric. I'm I'm just happy that the boys over at Rice Football, you know, actually have seems like they have a pretty dang good product going on in South Maine right now. They finally have something to really pull for for the first time in a while. So shout out to the boys over there. I love it. Hoot 'em. Hoot 'em. All right. So let's just jump into the next game. Um UNC versus, you know, that one school I don't really want to talk about. No, I'm just playing. Uh UNC obviously beat App State. Uh, forty to thirty-four. Um, that's my Heisman pick, Drake May. I told you all I chose him preseason. I'm still rocking with them. Um, I will be honest. I don't really have much to say about this game because I was unable to watch the majority of it. Um, Colton, do you have any insight on this one? I'll take this. Yeah, Drake May, solid. Definitely not his best game, but really that was because they were running all over them. Omarion Hampton had over 200 yards rushing. Carolina ran for over 300 yards in the day. Yeah, this was another iteration of a fantastic UNC App State shootout last year. Was I think that was like, was that sixty three to sixty one or something? Yeah, it was. It was something nuts like last year. I just remember. Yeah, it was an absolute slugfest of high scoring points. Yeah, really, really good game. Carolina in double overtime finally gets a stop that they need and wins the game. But yeah, I thought Carolina's defense looked really good against South Carolina. Maybe that would pretend well for the season ahead. 
I don't know, maybe things kind of average out, but yeah, not a great defensive showing from Carolina, but a win's a win, so the Heels stay undefeated. We skipped over a couple games. Oregon, Texas Tech, and Lubbock I thought was one of the best games of the weekend as well. That was a lot of fun, yes. Uh, I apologize. I Well, that's my fault for skipping over that. I feel like I, I got too no, excited about the rest of your age game. Okay. <clears throat> God, excuse me. I, I apologize for everyone who has to hear me cough. Um, so yes, Oregon over Texas tech. Um, obviously Oregon, I think in this game had a pretty big lead at some point, but Texas tech clearly closed that gap. That's the opposite of his tech. Oh, you're right. Excuse me. I apologize. Good. So much football. Going. Uh, yes, there's so much going on. My brain is just shot. Um, anyways, if I remember correctly though, uh, didn't tech have a chance to, uh, like equalize the game late yep. and the dude was out of bounds on the catch or something. Yeah. yeah they yeah, had yeah. a, they had a pick that was kind of debatable. They ended up saying it was incomplete, but some people think he picked it. Yeah, no, I, I saw the clip on Twitter and that was, uh, it was kind of going nuts over there with everyone blowing up like the replies, <clears throat> but um, God, I, I, I'm so sorry for that. Um, so I guess Colson, what, uh, what kind of analysis or insight do you have for this game? Yeah, this was a great game. I had mentioned that for, there was something telling me that tech was going to win, but I couldn't go against Bo Nix and the boys of the North. So went with the ducks here and like my only right prediction of the weekend besides rice, I think, but yeah, this was a very good game. Tech was, it's one of those games where you watch it and you can't believe the tech lost the game. They're, they're up by two scores for a lot of the game, Tyler Shuck, Tech's quarterback, a former Oregon Duck, actually, he's he's an interesting guy because he's he's kind of an NFL prototype. He's a big dude, has a really big arm, makes some really impressive throws. Actually, almost all of his touchdown throws this game were very, very impressive. The issue is for a six-year senior, not only is he too turnover prone, but his turnovers are just awful. I'm sure you saw the last pick six. I did, just, yeah, that was... That was bad. Just really, really bad plays. His last, he had four turnovers, three picks. The last pick was a Hail Mary, so it doesn't really count, I guess. But still, three turnovers is way too much in a game like that. And yeah, like I said, Tech was better than Oregon pretty much the whole game. But Oregon, in key situations on third and fourth down and in clutch moments, they were just better than Tech. And Bo Nix had a very good game. He used his legs to extend the game and extend plays. And pick a bunch of key first downs. So yeah, Oregon walks out of Lubbock with a win. The West Texas Oil Bros, Joey McGuire, are gonna have to bounce back as they're own to looking for their first win ahead of a Big Twelve schedule that in a season that they were very excited for. So we'll see if they can get it going in conference play. But yeah, Owen two and to start the year is definitely not what the Red Raiders wanted. But great game in Lubbock. Tortillas flying for everywhere. Sure. For sure. Um all right, Colton, uh, what else do you see on this sheet that you want to cover next? What's jumping out at you? Let's hop into OU and SMU, and then we'll run through a couple games to close it out. OU right, takes down SMU at home 28-11. Not the game I was hoping for. I thought it would be pretty high-scoring shootout. OU, their defense is definitely much improved. Danny Stutzman is a very good linebacker. But this game was... 14 to 3 pretty much the whole game and it was 14 to 11 with probably 10 minutes left. OU pulls away late there 22 11 Dylan Gabriel throws for four touchdowns but 
I don't know, something about this OU team, I'm just, I, I mentioned I'm not that high on them. They'll probably win a lot of games because their schedule is not good, and I bet they walk into Red River shootout undefeated, but only 28 points against SMU, and they were held to 14 for a while. It's just pretty concerning to me. I've voiced concerns about Dylan Gabriel. I think he's, I think he's solid, but I think there's some limitations that he has, and I don't think their receivers are very good either. So, yeah, OU gets the win there, but I only 28 points is very concerning to me if I'm a Sooner fan. And having Art Miles yeah. on the field is also not good. Yeah, that uh, that that's not a good look for anybody. Um, but anyways, touching on OU real quick. Obviously, Dylan Gabriel week one came out. They put up like 77 points or something like that. Um, crazy amount of points week one, you know. Kind of got some people thinking, you know, maybe the offense is finally taking a step forward considering where it was last year. And clearly you go into week two against SMU, who is no sleeper of a team by any means, but they're still not, you know, the upper echelon of college football like how they were back in the mid to late 80s. Shout out Pony Excess. But um, anyways, you know, they go into that game. And as you were saying, it was close until like late in the fourth quarter. And so, but... In my opinion, I feel like this is exactly what at least I was probably thinking going into this season for OU. Um, you know, any team led by a defensive-minded head coach such as Brent Venables, obviously I feel like they will, you know, be a lot better on defense than they will be on offense, and that clearly seems to maybe still somewhat be the case over in Norman. Um, I don't know, though. It, it's really interesting because, you know, you go from Lincoln Riley, who's known for putting up points and playing no defense, to the exact opposite of a coach who's known for having an absolute shutdown defense and no offense. So it'll be interesting to see how the rest of the season plays out. But um, at the end of the day, a win at home, still a win at home. So, uh, yeah, shout out to OU. Yeah, we'll touch on a couple others real quick. Washington State takes down Wisconsin 31-22. to Cameron Ward looks very comfortable in year two. Wisconsin was able to fight back make this game close, but overall the Cougars prevail in Pullman. USC demolishes Stanford like we expected. Also, like we mentioned, Caleb Williams is going to have a, a nuts play that's going to be all over ESPN. That happened because Caleb Williams is unbelievable. Oklahoma State beats Arizona State 27-15 in Tempe. Good bounce back for Oklahoma State, who won week one but did not look too great doing it. And Arizona State, a little bit of a shaky game from freshman Jaden Rashada, but that's to be expected in his second start and their coach's first year. Auburn beats Cal 14 to 10 in a super, super ugly game. So Auburn that was not defense, fun to watch. it looks like, but yeah, that offense, look, Hugh Freeze is going to get it going there on offense, but doesn't look like it right now. Yeah, that game, you know, that was a nightcap, obviously, because it was in Cal. And that was just not a fun watch, especially kind of down the stretch, whatnot. Um, God, I remember looking at my dad in the hotel room. I'm like, dude, can we change the channel? I asked him that like two or three times. Like I, I was, and I, I hate to do that, but I was just so bored watching that game. It was bad. I think Cal was in Auburn territory eight, I think it was eight times I saw and they scored 10 points. So yeah, not ideal for uh, the Golden Bears. That's a game that they should have no. had. Yes, for sure. But yeah, and then. Another game I was wrong about, Mississippi State takes down Arizona 31-24 in overtime. Zach Garnett drops an F-bomb in the post-game press conference. That was a pretty funny moment. <laughs> and, yeah, Arizona, Jaden Delora, we mentioned he's a fun quarterback. He's also a very turnover-prone quarterback with four picks. So 
Hey, look, the Wildcats hung in there, but overall Mississippi State a little bit too much pulling away at home, seeking way in overtime 31 to 24. So still undefeated for Zach Garnett, although they are doing they are completely shifting from the Mike Leach era. There is nothing on offense that is any sort of resemblance from the air raid, unfortunately. But yeah, Mississippi State still undefeated. Two and Swing your sword though. Swing your sword forever. CJK always so yeah wraps up a great week too a lot of good games yeah so uh you ready to jump into an even more exciting week three right yeah let's do it so like we said you guys know the schedule but week three there's just not too much going on so we thought we would just run through it and it's so it's i just want to say it's so sad considering what we've kind of grown accustomed to these first two weeks with games you know we have alabama texas uh, a week two and then week one we had Colorado TCU like I'm I'm so hungry for another big time great matchup like that <clears throat> and boy week three just does not deliver yeah I'm sorry. I mean at, le- at least on paper I mean I can't obviously can't speak for when the games actually start but on paper I'm just like really no I'm totally with you I'm sure that there's going to be some great game to pop up because that, that's just college football but yeah really nothing jumps off the page here but I guess we'll run through it real quick We'll start at Kansas State at Missouri here. Missouri has some good recruiting momentum. They are 2-0, but feels like this is a very big year for Eli Drinkwitz as far as his job security and Kansas State, the reigning Big 12 champions. It looked very good to start the season, so this could be a signature win for Mizzou, but I ultimately think that Will Howard and the Wildcats will be a little bit too much for Missouri. I think they win by double digits, and yeah, give me Kansas State over the zoo i feel the exact same way um you know kansas state as you're saying has looked good to start the season and you know mizzou although they're 2-0 uh you know you got a stud wide receiver in luther burden um i just don't necessarily see them getting the job done especially against kansas state who's coming in pretty hot i mean don't get me wrong mizzou's pretty hot as well but um i just, just something about it i just like kansas state better in this game even though the game is in missouri burden is awesome he's a stud yeah he was a really good yeah he's a five-star i think coming out yeah he has a i think he was the number one receiver in the country or i i I think it was him and evan stewart were like one and two east but uh yeah luther burton also has a nil deal with his own chip brand so i did see that smart dude i like it kind of like Bijan mustard last year yeah i'm i i have a bottle i don't i don't think it's that good but it, you you buy it more for the label than you do the yeah no nah, I just have it sitting around I tried it one time probably never have it again but nice little memento there let's run through Texas Wyoming bit of a tougher test than some other games I mean Wyoming slug Texas test. Tech, I'm, calling it, I'm calling it right Texas now slug call the upset but I'm not I'm not calling the upset but I do think it'll be a slug I think Texas is minus twenty eight right now uh, we'll see how it goes I'm excited to see if there's any sort of hangover from Alabama, it would be expected, but I want to see Texas handle success here, see what they can do, because ultimately the goal is to win the Big 12 this year and obviously not lose to Wyoming. So, but yeah, Wyoming's a really tough team. They're very experienced. They're going to run a ball control type of offense, but they have good tight ends. And their quarterback isn't a very good passer, but he's a pretty tough dude. They have a solid defense. So I bet they'll just try and limit possession for Texas. Ultimately, I think Texas defense will be too much and the Longhorns will win fairly comfortably and yeah i think a&m should have no problem taking care of louisiana monroe 
I just hope you know I was completely kidding when I said slugfest. That was just me kind of being yeah, cautiously man. optimistic. I mean, I mean, you call it that would be a Texas thing to do. Yeah, no, I, I, I can, I can definitely see that happening in another world. But you know, I coming off of such a high at Alabama, I don't think there's any way that Texas like sleepwalks playing against Wyoming. I think that they'll be ready to show up and take care of business. Now they may not cover the spread, but I still think they win by two to three touchdowns easy no question they better cover good teams win great teams cover exactly i agree um all right so i guess i'll take the next one so AM ulm um obviously big bounce back chance for jimbo fisher and company um you know ho- hopefully they had a good week of practice or get going into this game uh you got a lot of things to clean up as i mentioned earlier on offense and defense so as an aggie i'm pretty eager to see just exactly what they've been working on at practice and see if, you know, some things to be taken care of, you know, can DBs make tackles in space? Can we get quarterback pressures on defense? Um, you know, will receivers slip on offense? I don't explain with that one, but um, you know, they got a lot of things to clean up and obviously you don't have such a marquee opponent with um, ULM coming to town as you do the week after with Auburn coming into town. So I think this could be a great tune up, a great test, uh, to, to really get them ready for conference play starting the week after. Yeah, with you there should be no problem for the Aggies. Here we go to the college game day, Colorado, Colorado State. Uh, the Rocky Mountain Showdown, I believe it's called. I think Boulder takes care of business, no problem. Shout out to Colorado State receiver Dylan Goffney. He's a really nice dude. I've met him a couple of times here in Austin when he was at SMU. We come to visit, so... Good dude. Hope he scores a touchdown. But yeah, ultimately, I think that Boulder wins pretty comfortably with college game day there, and they ride into a big matchup with Oregon undefeated. For sure. No question. And yeah, we'll touch on real quick. BYU-Arkansas. Arkansas has not looked fantastic, but neither has BYU. I'm going to roll with Arkansas there. Backyard brawl, Pitt, West Virginia. I think both these teams are not good at all. I'm going to go with I'm going to go with Pitt to bounce back from last week's loss to Cincinnati. All those games in Morgantown. This could be a good bad game, if you know what I mean by that. I'm sure you do. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And TCU U of H, two teams looking for wins. TCU bounced back last week against a bad team, but they want a Power 5 win. I'll take the Horn Frogs to win it and yeah, that's that I've kind of jumped off the page at me. Well, um, the the two games I want to talk about real quick that we that we didn't cover just yet. Um, Tennessee's taking on Florida, so obviously, you know, as I mentioned, A and M and the majority of other SEC teams don't start conference play till next week. However, that is not the case for a handful of teams. Obviously, <laughs> excuse me, I'm so I'm so sorry. Um, obviously, that's not the case this weekend for Tennessee, Florida, and LSU and Mississippi State. Um, You know, it'll be really interesting to see just how Joe Milton responds to his first conference game of the year. It'll be interesting to see how Billy Napier and his Florida Gators do. Ultimately, though, in that game, I do think Joe Milton will be too much for tennis or will be too much for Florida. So I got Tennessee by probably 14 in this game. Um, I don't know about you, but that's what I'm kind of feeling about this. I'm with you there. It's just it's it's a road start for him in the swamp, but I just. Tennessee didn't look great last week. We didn't talk about that, but Austin P was tied with them for quite a while. But I just I don't think Florida will be able to score, even if Tennessee's I, offense yeah. isn't 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 great this week. Yeah. But 
Yeah, I'll roll with I'll roll with the Vols there as well. Washington State, or sorry, Washington, Michigan State. Uh, Mel Tucker, you're a weirdo, dude, and you probably coached the last yeah. game. I'd like to say though, I will if offered accept the Michigan State coaching job. So I'm, I'm, yeah, I think I could turn the program around. I'll bring I'll bring some guys with me, but okay, yeah, I'll take the Michigan State yeah. job if need be. I think Washington. Even if Mel Tucker was there, I think Washington would blast Michigan State, and I think that Michael Penix and that crew is going to have a very big day throwing the ball all over that Michigan State defense. Yeah, um, as much as I would love to touch more on the Mel Tucker situation, um, I think it's best if we just leave it at that by calling him an absolute sicko and weirdo, because if we do, I'm afraid our show would probably be yanked right off the air. So let's not do that. Yeah, disavow. Um, I disavow Mel Tucker. Yes, he uh he has a really questionable character. Yeah, not, um, not good decision making though. No, um, sorry, I lost my train of thought. Um, yeah, I mean, if I think the last game we have really is LSU Mississippi State. Uh, yeah, LSU Mississippi State. Uh, that game is in Stark Vegas. Uh, I got LSU. You know, obviously, uh, they're they're probably still a bit pissed off about Week One Florida State. You know, that to get beat that bad. Um, yeah, I'm kind of hoping at least that team would ha- would come out with a bit of a chip on their shoulder mentality, especially with a um their true first conference game of the year with it coming on the road. Obviously, you know Stark Vegas, Mississippi State may seem kind of like a, a uh, an average middle of the road kind of team, but Stark Vegas I would argue is one of the most <laughs> one of the most difficult places to play in all of the SEC, and so it'll be really interesting to see how Jaden Daniels handles his first road test of the season, but ultimately I do have the Bayou Bengals by quite a few points in this one. I'm with you there. I think, look, LSU did not look good week one, and I'll lump Alabama into this. People are disappointed in how they played last week against Texas. I think there's a bit of an overreaction. Some of these teams, I think that they're still going to be fine and be SEC West contenders. So I'm going to roll with LSU as well. I don't think they'll blow them out, but I think they win pretty convincingly. But that's about all there really is for week three. I want to touch on it, though. Let's have a little SEC conversation here. First thing, because I know you had a question, I have one for you. Who's the best quarterback in the SEC right now? God, I I really can't answer that with a straight face. So Daniels, I thought it was going to be Devin Leary coming into this season. Yeah. So I thought it might be Joe Milton. If he could put it all together. Um, I would, I would have to say as of right now, as much as I would love to roll with Connor Wigman, I, out of all of the absolute star studded picks that we have in the sec, I would say either Spencer Rattler or Jaden Daniels are the best two quarterbacks in the conference. And that feels so weird to say right now. No, I'm with you. It's weird. Like this is just this has been such a strange start to the season for not just the SEC West, but just the entire conference as a whole. Um, considering what we're used to with the SEC just absolutely dominating everyone, it feels like year in and year out. Um, it just feels weird to see the conference have a bit of a down year so far. I mean, obviously it's we're going into week three, so there's still a lot of time to turn it around, but it's just odd, you know? No, I'm totally with you and I think we didn't – playoffs are a ways away, but typically if a team's going to get two teams in or if a conference is, it's going to be the SEC. 
And the SEC yeah. West has always been a conference that's or a division that is going to have teams. And I think already going into week three, I don't. I think I'm pretty confident in saying that I could be way off, but I, I don't think any SEC West team is going to make the playoffs. I don't. I don't see any of those teams winning out. I agree. No, I I totally see that. But I will say, um, as an Aggie, and with them being in the SEC West, it does make me a little bit optimistic that hopefully, if the Ags are able to actually get their stuff together and turn the season around. Um, I, I think they could be in for, I still think they could be in for a pretty special season and potentially make a run for the top of the SEC West if everything all goes to plan. But as we all know, with Jimbo Fisher at the helm, nothing ever really seems to go to plan. But hypothetically, in the rare case that it does this year, I would not necessarily be too surprised if they were actually in contention coming into November. I mean, look, similar to last year, the winner of this division could be a 9-3. Yeah, no, exactly. That, it, that's just it's, seven and two. It's so seven and or sorry, yeah. I mean, six and two could win you the could win you the division. It's just so weird to think think about that now with the SEC West because you know, for years and years, Alabama and LSU, and you know, all these different teams have just dominated for the most part. You had Mississippi State in like 2014, like they came up and dominated for a little while. Um, just to see them just kind of go through this lull to start the season, it's just so bizarre. Yeah, and even the teams that are undefeated in the West here with Auburn has not looked good. Ole Miss has been a bit shaky. Mississippi State has had a close escape. So, And I don't think that any of us thought they're going to be real contenders anyways. And, yeah, look, A&M, LSU, and Bama already have a loss. So I, I don't see any of those teams winning the next 10 games. Doors wide open, though, for the Ags. That's all I'll say. Oh, it is. And that, I'm still drinking the Kool Aid, but no. Look, I mean, I'm, if, I'm just trying to be. If you pull an ups, if Andy pulls an upset, like they're right there. So there's a chance. Yeah, there's a chance. I want the SEC West to be how how the ACC Coastal used to be, where there'd be a bunch of like four and four teams. That'd be great. <laughs> if it's if it's George. Oh, that's so fun. If it's for Georgia sure. versus like seven and five Arkansas and in Atlanta. Some like or, you see that that's just that's just good for college football, yeah. you know. That's just that's what makes the game fun. Yeah, we need some crazy tiebreaker scenarios, but yeah, I thought the who's the best quarterback thing was very interesting. I yeah, I guess I guess it's Jaden Daniels. I'm not giving up on Devin Leary. Kentucky has not been fine. Spencer Rattler though, look he's he's been pretty he's been pretty good yeah. throughout the season. His O line is bad. That, you know that's kind of the only thing. Yeah, it's, I it's think atrocious, he could be waking, but. Like soon, I just I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I, I think I I still think it's too soon for, to say Wigman, but I feel like at least out of all the quarterbacks with uh, the most potential, I feel like it is him. Um, That's crazy that there used I, to be Joe Burrow and Tua playing in the same division a few years back, and now we don't even know who the best quarterback is in the conference. And if you can't name it off the yeah. spot, because I mean, look at the Pac-12. The the Pac-12 has. Caleb, they have Penix, they have Bo Nix, Cameron Ward's good too. Dante Moore, they have Cam Cam Rising, yeah, Cam Rising. I mean, DJ Uyunglele. Would DJ yeah. would DJ be the best DJ in SEC? I I don't. I I don't know. I mean, if so, if DJ would have gone to an SEC team, so say like he was at South Carolina right now instead of Spencer Rattler, um. I could easily see him being one of, I wouldn't probably say he is the best, but I would definitely see him as one of like the top three quarterbacks in the conference. 
Like, what if Sam Harmon had gone to an SEC school? Oh, well, he'd be the best option. Yeah, for the conference, hands down. Yeah, that would that would actually be quite entertaining to watch. I feel like. So yeah, definitely interesting. I said so I don't think it's the end of the world for A and M. I still think Bam and LSU are going to be good teams, but to see pretty much the whole SEC West fighting for their lives in the playoffs for the next ten weeks is pretty shocking. I'm I'm here for it. Bring on the chaos. Yeah. Gotta have it. That used to go. It's close as close to 2007 as we can get. I'll take it's it. True. I guess. Oh man, that means Texas is is gonna lose to Kansas again. It's okay because Kansas was an absolute juggernaut for 12 games that year, and that was it. Wow. So was Missouri. Yeah, though. I was gonna say we have to change our pick to Missouri beating K State. Yeah. All right. Are you ready to uh, jump into life advice and wrap this thing up? Let's, yeah. Let's hop into life advice. So, first submission: How do you handle defeat? Do you mind if I take this one, considering I'm dealing with that at the moment? I think I kind of lobbed it up to you. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll, I'll finish off the oop right here. Um, how do you handle defeat? Uh, well, that's a good question. You know, everyone handles everything differently. Uh, everyone copes differently. Um, so I would say, at least from a college football perspective like this. Drinking. Um, you know, it's... What's up? Drinking. That that works for me, at least. I can't speak for everyone else, but that tends to help me quite a bit. Um, anyways, um, at least in the college football regard, if if you're you know pissed about a defeat, whatnot, now, um, you know, I would say it's still early. There's still a lot of time to make changes. Um, you know, there's still a lot. There's still certainly reasons for hope and optimism. You know, it's not like you got defeated in week eleven or week twelve, whatnot, and you blew a conference championship spot. I mean, we're nowhere even close to that yet. So um, in that regard, I would say it's still early. Keep your chin up. Anything's possible between now and November. Um, Now, if you're asking how do you handle defeat in like a life scenario, um, man, that's that's a tough question. But the way I would say is, you know, you learn a lot from success, but I feel like you learn even more from your defeats and your losses. So the the way that I've tried to personally handle defeats and losses in the past, um, you know, I try to look at everything like that as a bit of an opportunity. And even though I may have lost or not gotten the job done in whatever case scenario it was at the time, um, I still look at it as an opportunity to learn and to grow and, you know, take what I... I learned from my loss and apply it to my next attempt at that or just going forward to help better and improve myself in whatever I'm doing. And so I would say the ultimate best way to handle defeat like that in life is to just take those losses and just try to turn them into something positive and turn them into a lesson that you can actually use and stuff that you'll value like that and just take whatever you learn and just apply it going forward. Yeah, that's a great answer. As far as college football, after a loss, I normally just cry or don't do anything for the next three days. But or just tweet, tweet inexcusable things online. Yeah, I'll tweet stuff. I'll go on the message boards. Now I have this podcast, so we can rant here a little bit. We have another space. Now. Exactly. Yeah. So, but yeah, as far as life, I'm totally with you. I think you really just have to. You got to pick yourself up off the mat. You have to not get too discouraged, but you also have to kind of evaluate what happened and find what's wrong. Maybe look internally, see what maybe you're not doing right. Or maybe there's factors around you, how you can eliminate those. And 
yeah, I think you have to look at it as an opportunity and just find a way to, because in any defeat, there are going to still be some positive things to take out of it. So you just got to kind of find what you did wrong and take and look at it as a chance to improve upon and go back the next time and go at it even harder. For sure. And no uh, so, yeah, it's great submission. Thank you for that submission, whoever that was. We will keep you anonymous, of course, but thank you for that. Yeah, you know who you are. And uh, second one here, how do you handle a situation where you live with a close friend, but then you guys get into a fight and are no longer friends, but still live together? So this kind of implies that, say you're mostly in college, right? Say that you're rooming with someone that's a close friend of yours, and then rooming with your best friends is not always the best idea. So maybe it goes sideways, but you still live together. How do you handle that? So do you want me to take this one? I'll let you lead this one off if you don't mind. All right. So I think it depends on the situation, right? If you're in a dorm, like how most people are their first year of college, then that's more of an issue because if the relationship is irreparable, then you are basically sharing a room together, which gets to be very awkward. For me, like Will and I were talking about this beforehand just it's great with guys how most of the time we don't hold grudges and we can be in a fight one minute be at each other's necks and then the next minute we'll just be watching football and hanging out so for me i would try and talk to them obviously and try and work out the issue hear hear their perspective and let them hear yours see if you can work it out but in the case that it's just not going to happen i I think you just do your own thing. It can be really awkward and unfortunate, but if it's an apartment and you have your own space, then I just wouldn't cause any problems. Just kind of nod, say hi, and just do your own thing. But definitely unfortunate that that's happening to you. And yeah, I think that's a lesson learned. It's not always the best idea to live with close friends if you don't work well together, being together 24-7. But yeah, I think trying to work it out, and if you can't, then just I wouldn't kind of make the situation even worse. Just be the mature person and do your own thing. For sure, I um I agree with that as well. Um, you know, as you were saying though, um, us dudes, you know, as we could truly be going to blows at one point, you know, just absolutely just live it at each other and then 10 minutes later we're out like in the front yard throwing football or you know sharing a beer or watching a game or just anything like that like nothing ever happened um as for this situation though this is clearly a lot more tough considering that you know as you mentioned it was a close friend and then you get in a fight and you're no longer friends um so i'll say this if you mention that it's a close friend and you get into one fight like that and they're no longer your friend how close of a friend were they you know yeah, that's kind of think point. about it from that. Yeah, kind of think about it from that angle, because um, you know, if I feel like if Colton and I got in a fight, I mean, we're also dudes, but if Colton and I got in a fight, I know that he and I are great friends. Um, you know, we would find a way to resolve our issues and just move forward, and you know, still be great friends like how we are now. Um, Will would have a nice black eye to show for it. I would, but then I my answer to everyone asked me how I got that would be you should see the other guy. Yeah, it's so. fair. <laughs> Um, but anyways, in this case, you know, sharing a space like that, that's, that's tough. 
and quite honestly, I will I will just throw it out there now. I live I live by myself as of right now in College Station, so I don't have very much experience as of having a roommate for the time being. But um, I did share, you know, an upstairs with my sister growing up for 18 years, whatever it was. So I do have a little experience in this field. But um, as far as this case goes, I would just say, you know, do what Colton did. Just try to work it out. Like if it is, if it's truly someone you really care about and, you know, you don't want to lose them or anything like that, um, you will find a way to work it out. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, if you work it out great, you get what you you get what you ultimately wanted, but if you don't work it out, then, you know, it, it, it just is what it is. You know, some people are meant to be in your life for, you know, 24 hours and other ones are meant to be in your life for the rest of it. So I guess you just kind of got to determine if it doesn't work out, um, if they're, if they're really worth keeping around for however long, or if they were just another little, another little, uh, character in the ultimate story of life. So that's something for you to figure out. But, um, that's pretty much all I got for that. It's a great answer. There's a lot of wisdom on the show, as you guys can tell. Yes, of course. Well, I, uh, yeah, two great submissions. Yeah, um, thank you. Shout out to both of y'all. Yeah, we hope to have an update on the life advice from last week's episode as well with the dilemma that that person was going through. So hopefully we have an update on that for us and for y'all pretty soon. And we will have some more drafts coming up and potentially a big time guest from an athlete per se. Our first ever guest on the show. I first can't wait. Guess. So it could, we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll see when that happens. I'd be on the lookout. It could get electric pretty fast. It could. But yeah, I think that's about all we've got. I hope you guys enjoyed a recap of a very exciting week two. And we're trying to hype up week three. There'll be some good games. Don't worry. But we gave you guys a nice little rundown of what to watch for in week three. Yeah. Um, thank you very much, everyone, for tuning in and listening. I know that this is a bit of a longer episode than usual, um, but considering this will be our only episode for this week, as we mentioned at the start of the show, um, it was going to run a little bit longer. So if you're here with us now, thank you so much for sticking it out. We really appreciate it. Um, obviously, we have a, a somewhat exciting slate of games for week three, but um, at the end of the day, college football is still college football. Um, but yeah, no, once again, thank you all very much for listening and we will see you all in the next episode. Thank you all.